Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Day Beautiful podcast feed. My name is Adam. I am the founder of Day Beautiful, the website and podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out Day Beautiful on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And welcome to yet another First Taste reading series where I invite an author to read five minutes from their work to kickstart your week off with great literature and put you in a really good mood. Today's guest lives with her family in Johannesburg, South Africa, where she works in international development. She began her career as a corporate lawyer in New York City, and she holds degrees from Yale University and Harvard Law. She grew up in Connecticut, and her debut novel, Our Best Intentions, is out now. Please welcome the Boothy Jane. Hey, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Hope you're doing well, too. I am. Thank you so much for asking. I, um, I used to be a teacher for a brief amount of time, a high school teacher. And I really connected with Our Best Intentions because it's it plays into this idea that I saw a lot where people were changing or maybe not changing addresses to get into better or schools, better in quotes. Um, I don't know. And I, I first wanted to ask, like, what is our best intentions for you? What What is it about? Because I think people might think it's just about a high school and that's it, but there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm very excited for this novel. It's my debut novel mm-hmm. and Our Best Intentions is really story centered on an immigrant family, an Indian American father and daughter, Bobby and Angie Singh, who live in an affluent suburb of New York. Um, they find themselves entangled in a crime that takes place at their local public high school, as you mentioned. Um, but the crime really has um, after effects much beyond the walls of the classroom, it really actually creates a number of rifts and um, tension in this otherwise tight-knit community. And it also forces the Singh family to confront some fairly uncomfortable questions about race and class um, and what it means to fit in and belong and who has a right to have their story told who belongs in a school in that town, um, what their responsibility is to speak up for what is fair. And beyond that, in having all of this sort of broader social reckoning, they're also forced to confront some uncomfortable personal questions like how to cope with the disappearance or abscondment, depending on how you look at it, of the mother slash um wife so um yeah for me our best intentions is about a number of things but ultimately it is a portrait of a family mm-hmm. and i i think i just read this in the like publicity copy right before we started chatting but when i was reading it, it really did remind me of uh my favorite celestine book her first one um and not because because of how it was written not necessarily what it's about like there's is there's a a coziness to it which i think people get confused when i say that but for me that that's like the biggest compliment it felt it feels lived in anyway i'm complimenting you and i want people to hear you read it before i compliment you even more so what part of the book will you be reading for us today sure so i'll be reading chapter three it is um where it's the beginning of the book of course and it's um chapter about um when bobber 
Singh or Bobby um, first gets called into the high school um, to find out, uh, to learn essentially that his daughter was involved in a criminal incident. Terrific. We'll take it away. Great. Our Best Intentions, Chapter 3. Bobber Singh's life is finally falling into place. It's the third Wednesday in August, a mild 78 degrees with a tepid breeze and mostly cloudless sky. The radio blares an infectious pop song about Havana that he can't help but hum and drum his fingers along to. His left forearm and elbow rest against the edge of the open window of his red Prius, and the dark hair on his arms flutters as he navigates midday traffic along the parkway. The day feels ripe with promise and good fortune. Bobber, or Bobby as most know him, is the sole proprietor and founder of Move with Bobby Transport, LLC. The company, and consequently Bobber, is having a record summer. Business is booming in spite of the surging popularity of various on-demand transportation applications, each seeking a non-negligible commission from drivers for use of their respective platforms. In fact, Bobber is en route from LaGuardia, where he drops off two of his regulars, the Burnett Johnsons, a multiracial gay couple, both of whom, quote, work in finance, end quote, and in the city, to catch a flight up to Cape Cod for a long weekend. They tipped with abandon $40 on a $100 ride. Some people have money to burn. Bobber couldn't help but feel judgmental, notwithstanding his pocketing the generous sum without complaint and with a toothy curbside drop-off and farewell. He does not sacrifice quality customer service on account of others' fiscal irresponsibility. He drives north on the parkway in the direction of the exit for Route 15 and smiles, genuinely this time, as he heads to his ne next destination, the township of Kichwan. The Sings moved to Kichwan over a decade ago, back when Purnima was still around and Angela, then Anjali, had been in preschool. Baba remembers tripping over the peculiar town name unversed at the time with the ubiquitous commemoration of the area's native inhabitants, who were, so far as Bobber could tell, no longer around to enjoy the honor. Great schools, upscale people, gorgeous river views. Kichuan is where you want to be, their broker had told them, nodding with approval at the upwardly, upwardly mobile young family. An earnest, clean-shaven husband, a company man, a pro product ambassador, a.k.a. salesman, for a biomedical supply company, a formerly slim but softer post-baby wife who nodded agreeably, if not bashfully, as she allowed her husband to do the talking, and an energetic young child with skin the color of burnt sugar and wispy curls of brown black hair as fine as bird feathers, weaving in and out of her parents' legs. It turns out, 10 plus years later, after one intra-town move and one sing lighter, it was. Bobber hums a little louder to the music, decelerating as he approaches a sharp curve. He revels in a favorite pastime, running through his well-crafted daily itinerary in his head. Every task and appointment is already meticulously documented in his daily planner, but Bobber relishes admiring the tidiness and order of it all, finding serenity and purpose in playing back from memory his choreographed life. He plans to spend this afternoon in his home office, a modest but scrupulously maintained ground floor study. He will station himself on his swivel chair before his desktop computer at his particulate board desk, natural wood being out of budget, and who can tell the difference really? Adjacent to a wood composite bookshelf that doubles as a display case, 
mostly for his daughter's swimming accolades. Fortified by a toasted tomato sandwich and mug of milky black tea, he'll check his email and business Facebook page for passenger requests and then conduct a mid-afternoon status check on his other cars, or more, more accurately, his other drivers. There is, Bobber has concluded, despite advice to the contrary from his voluminous collection of business-focused self-help books on the bookshelf next to him, Entrepreneurship from Dummies, From Good to Great, Five Star Boss, no management too micro when managing people work for one's own business. After that, Bobber will tabulate his business accounts for the month to date, an exercise he does both mid-month and at month's end to keep a real-time pulse on performance. While it's been a bumper summer, he can't take his foot off the proverbial gas. Not now, not with an almost college-bound daughter, and not in Kichwan, where any success short of being a Fortune 500 executive or, say, a hedge fund boss like his daughter's friend's father, is considered modest. Bobber approaches the stretch of the parkway that runs parallel to the Hudson River. In his peripheral vision, he sees the surface of the water glittering in the afternoon light. He lets out a contented sigh, even as traffic congestion builds in front of him. Bodies of water remind him of Angie. She must be training now, he thinks, scanning his car clock and also his phone which is affixed to his dashboard to see if she texted him back in response to an earlier message he'd sent about dinner. She hasn't. She's probably in the pool. Ever since she was in first grade, when Bobber enrolled her in swimming classes at the community center as a substitute for after-school care, Angie has swum more days than not. She has trained for the better part of the year, every year since middle school. But this summer, she's dedicated herself with such focus that even Bobber, who believes he knows his child better than anyone else in the world, is taken aback by the singular drive of his outwardly understated offspring. Seeing her grit, he agonizes, mostly in the middle of the night, when he has trouble sleeping because his mind never seems to turn off, over whether there is in fact any way to enroll Angie in one of the notable year-round swim clubs that she has her heart set on joining. Can he cut back on his weekend hours and adjust his weekday hours so he can drive her to meets and back and forth from early morning and evening practices? But try as he might, boom summer or not, they cannot afford it. He tries not to panic about it in front of her, assuring her that using the school pool and emailing with the high school coach is as good as a club, but he knows it isn't. And Angie will eventually need better to reach the true heights of her potential. Bobber's phone buzzes and the car in front of him breaks in the same instant. As his eyes flash to his phone screen, a text from a client confirming a pickup at White Plains Airport tonight, he delays applying his brakes and ends up sharply jolting to a halt. A paperback copy of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man that had been resting on the passenger seat falls to the floor of the car. Bobber winces. It's a bad omen for a book to touch the floor. He's been reading Angie's summer books for her advanced English class along with her to help her edit the reaction essays that she has to write. He's not quite sure how helpful he's been. Her school is a stark contrast to the open-air government school of his childhood in Hoshiarpur, where English literature considered of, consisted of perfunctory ensemble chants of fire burn and cauldron bubble, and Juliet is the sun in response to the school ma'am's expectant double-double toil and trouble, and it is the East End. But he enjoys the idea of his otherwise independent daughter meeting him and his glimpse of an American education. The traffic is at a standstill, so Bobber unbuckles his seatbelt and reaches for the misleadingly titled book, Not a Tale of Optical Illusion and Superheroics, 
placing it back on the seat after touching it to his forehead. He rebuckles and hopes the karmic equivalent of the five-second rule applies. Traffic recommences and he turns up the radio, nodding his head to a slightly crude pop song pur purporting to share rules for communicating with one's ex-lover. He hopes Angie doesn't start dating until after she leaves for college and that she is able to solicit the guidance she may need in this arena from her professors. He's not equipped to parent his daughter through interactions with the opposite sex, his own experience limited to his tumultuous time with Purnima. Also, unlike other topics that he's uncomfortable navigating, like menstruation and bra shopping, he isn't sure that he can outsource this one to their sympathetic neighbor, Colleen Sullivan, one of the several women advisors whom Barbara has enlisted over the years to help fill the void of Purnima's abandoned duties. For example, when Angie was 11, Colleen took her to buy her first training bra. Using this occasion, per Bobber's insistence, to speak woman to woman, woman to be, about Angie's changing body. A great relief to Bobber, even if his daughter seemed less than pleased. Better to learn of such things from another female than from Bobber paraphrasing excerpts from Our, body, our, our Bodies Ourselves. But after Colleen's 4th of July barbecue last month and her not-so-subtle invitations in the event, quote, Bobby gets lonely, end quote, he's too embarrassed and frightened to re-enlist her to chat with Angie about dating. Fortunately for Bobber, the subject doesn't yet appear to be on Angie's mind. The closest he and his daughter have come to speaking about relationships was a surprising recent ultimatum that Angie issued when he was researching university swimming programs. As a condition to her leaving home for college, Angie had made her father promise he will find someone or something outside of work so he won't be all alone. Children these days are so emotionally complex, Bobber remembers thinking, feeling guilty that Angie worries about him. He's also caught off guard by her pointed emphasis on someone. The idea of someone after eight and a half years of no one other than himself and Angie burns Bobber's ears. It is out of the question, not a chance that he is ready or has time, or even with time interest. He's take, he has Angie to take care of. He's both father and mother to the girl, and it's his obligation, his sacrosanct duty, to ensure she reaches every pinnacle of success. First back to regionals, then to state, then All-American, and then, he inhales sharply, stopping himself. No use in tempting fate. No, he thinks. He does not have time for barbecues and picnics and whatever else he blushes Colleen Sullivan had in mind. Besides, under the state, under the laws of the state of New York, he and Purnima are still legally married. And although he owes Purnima nothing, not even, he thinks, clenching the steering wheel, a response to her latest audacious email, he can't, he won't, he shouldn't, for his own sake and Angie's, introduce unpredictability into their diarized lives especially when he's dedicated the last eight and a half years to eliminating just that, especially when things are going well. He'll tell Angie that he'll take up an activity at the community center, a photography class maybe, he thinks, as his eyes flicker back to the shimmering river on his right. Bobber's thoughts are interrupted by his phone, ringing through his car's Bluetooth. He adjusts his headset and sits more upright, removing his arm from the window ledge before he answers. Hello, move with Bobby. This is Bobby speaking his standard greeting. Technically speaking, there is a transport at the end of the business's name to avoid, upon advice of counsel, confusion with a personal training company in Fairfield. But colloquially, it's move with Bobby. And around the house, or in Bobber's day planner, just move. Hi, Mr. Babar, please? Bobber cringes the butchering of his first name. 
It is a woman's voice, not someone he immediately recognizes. This is he. I go by Bobby. Mr. Um, Bobby, this is Mabel Burroughs, Principal Burroughs of Kichuan High School. Principal Burroughs, is everything okay? I'm so sorry to bother you, Mr. Uh, Bobby, but are you driving, Mr. Mr. Singh? I am, but it's no problem, Madam Principal. The school year hasn't even begun, and I see they've already got you on the clock. He lets out an artificial chuckle. The principal doesn't reciprocate. Mr. Singh, I'm calling about Angela. Bobber's heart stops. She's fine. Let me say that up front. His heartbeat resumes, but with gusto. But there's been an, um, incident at the high school. What kind of incident? Is she hurt? No, nothing like that. She's not hurt, and she's safe. She pauses. I'd rather not say more on the phone. I think it will be best if you drive here. Can you make your way over to the high school? Bobber checks his clock. It's 2.54 p.m. Give me 10 minutes. Great. I'll see you soon. She hangs up. Bobber immediately calls his daughter. After a few rings, the call goes to voicemail. This is Angela. I can't talk right now, and I don't check my messages. If it's important, text me. Bobber ignores the instructions and leaves a voicemail. Angela, this is dad. I'm on my way. He hesitates, trying to decide if he should give her some advice, like stay safe or don't move. Settling on, I'll see you soon, and hangs up. He tucks Invisible Man further away from the edge of the car seat, turns off the radio, pushes his shoulder blades back, sits at attention, leaning ever so slightly into the steering wheel, and drives. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, with novels like this, I'm always curious, where where did it start for you? Did it start with the family? Did it start with the incident? Or what family member did it start with? Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the book really came together, actually, ironically, during an Uber ride. Um, <laughs> so the book actually features um, a driver as a character. And um, I had been coming back from JFK, going to my parents' house in Stanford, um, Stanford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, I had a conversation with um, a, a driver about um, some violent incidents that had happened at a pretty uh, nice uh, Westchester public high school. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, and it was, there was sort of some veiled reference to the fact that the community in the town was really upset and felt like maybe their town was going downhill because um, individuals of different socioeconomic status were attending the public school. And a lot of parents were so concerned they wanted to pull their kids out of public school and put them in private school. And I was having this conversation with this driver of Indian American origin. And I remember he was kind of explaining what was happening to me um, with concern. He's a parent with a child in that school. And also in a way that seems to suggest he didn't really view um, being Indian American as being a minority in this case. And it just provoked a lot of thought from me about how we speak so much about race in America, often at times uncomfortably, but, you know, there's a way in which we speak about race that doesn't really leave space for how race is navigated by brown communities, um, brown immigrant communities specifically. Um, you know, there's a big gap between black and white. And I sometimes think that nuance that in between space is lost. And I hadn't really seen a lot of stories about what it's like to be Indian American and trying to navigate these issues. So the plot kind of came together from there. Um, I knew I wanted to write a story with Indian American characters. And I think 
the first character who really came to life for me was the character of the father, Bobber, mm. a.k.a. Bobby. Um, so yeah, that was the inspiration. Thank you so much to Vibhuti Jane for joining the Day Beautiful First Taste reading series. You can find her on her website, vibhutijane.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at vibhutijwrites. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.